Live from the Danger Room, hidden deep under a Westchester mansion, it's the Mighty Marvel Tooncast with Tim Nidell and Jeremy Shields. Two of you. The odds are getting better and better. Spiders, danger. We always kiss the bridesmaids, too. This ain't Cajun country, hun. Zip those lips. Kumbaya! He's alive. And in a lousy mood. I can't believe it. Get away while you can! Join them as they review classic Marvel animation. And now, here's Tim and Jeremy. Excelsior! Hey, true believers, it's time to visit the danger room again. Hey, it's me, it's Jeremy Shields. And I didn't come to the danger room alone because that's just dangerous. That's just weird. Why would you go alone? Uh, I don't know. I'm a glutton for punishment. I mean, I'm waiting for one of these pistons to crush me. Ooh. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I hear Gambit nearly got one, too. It kind of tore his jacket up, but uh, that's a whole other story. It sure is. But yeah, this is Tim Nadell. Woohoo! Woohoo! You may know us from the Neverland podcast and Saturday Morning Rewind, and we thank you for knowing us from there, but uh, this is a whole different ball game. In fact, this is not quite a ball game, because if you tried to play baseball in the danger room, you'd probably find the most lethal version of baseball you've ever seen in your life. I don't know if I want to play baseball with Wolverine. I don't think he plays very fair. Yeah, and he's got temper problems, so if he starts to lose, he'll probably, you know, he might slice your ball up. Yeah. <laughs> That could be taken two ways by the baseball. That's why I'm laughing. <laughs> I could have said he could have slashed your bat, and that could have went the same direction, too. Uh, I don't know if we should edit that out or not. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, so what we're doing here, if you haven't heard our episode zero, which we recommend you go and listen to episode zero, uh, we're going to go through the old 90s series. Well, we're starting at least with the 90s series of Spider-Man and X-Men, and we're going to go and talk about each episode one at a time, alternating every episode between the two different series. Uh, and when we run out of episodes there, if this is still going strong and y'all are having fun, we can certainly jump into X-Men Evolution, Spectacular Spider-Man, and maybe if we have to, go into Ultimate Spider-Man, which is the series that I'm, I'm not quite enjoying. And I haven't seen any of those, so that'll be interesting. Uh, you're not missing much. <laughs> yeah, I don't doubt that. Uh, granted, I mean, they still got a good fan base, but I think they've definitely aimed that series at some of the younger viewers, uh, which in the nineties, yeah, you could see that they were, you know, they wanted some younger viewers in there. But, uh, when you look at the precedent that Batman, the animated series set and X-Men really set a precedent of, you know, having kind of more mature stories, you know, you could, you could be older and get into the series because they dealt with a lot of interesting issues and they took it seriously and not, not quite as silly as some of the things you would see in the eighties. Yep. It was a revolution in animation, and it's all because of Marvel and DC. That's right. But we're not going to talk about the DC ones. In fact, oh, we're going to start right with Marvel, uh, with you know, sp- particularly with Spider-Man. Now, were you a comic reader when you were younger? I sure was, yeah. I I, I just don't think I've read a comic since my children have been born because I don't have time to read anymore. But, <laughs> oh, yeah, as a kid, between, like, 85 to even, like, I think 95 were my biggest years of reading comic books and Spider-Man X-Men were in my top in my top four of what I read. Oh yeah. So there, I remember the anticipation for this Spider-Man series 
Uh, they even in Marvel Comics, I even had a, like an animation cell that came in one of my Spider-Man comics that had Spider-Man and Venom in there on, you know, of course, the clear, transparent yeah. uh, cell. And uh, I foolishly put it in my window, though, because I thought it was kind of cool because you know, it was clear. And of course, the sun faded the colors on it. <laughs> yeah, that's not that's not very smart. That's not idea. That's not what they wanted you to do with that. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I, my anticipation was very high for this. Uh, I mean, this was fo- back when Fox Kids was a thing, you know, and they showed cartoons on Saturday mornings. And uh, X-Men had done so well that now they were branching and figured, oh, we have a, have a good market for this. And now we need a Spider-Man series. And I was super excited for this. Every little, every little tidbit of information in Wizard Magazine, I was eating it up. So by the time this, this series premiered, I was just revved. Ooh, Wizard Magazine. I loved Wizard Magazine. Yeah, I wish I still had most of my issues. I, I think know. I have quite a few, but it was a great publication. Some mm-hmm. of those I think you can get digitally these days. Oh, nice. Oh, yes. But yeah, Wizard, I remember they talked about it. Uh, and the the Stan Soapbox, well, which started getting different names in the 90s because other different editors and stuff would, uh, would write those in. They were all talking about the new Spider-Man series, and it's going to be great. So uh, do you remember how your anticipation was for the series? Uh, not really, honestly. I just remember I don't think I knew much about it before it aired, I don't think. But I definitely loved it. Well, okay. (laughs) Uh, So the premiere episode, and this was probably some of the best animation they had for the entire series. And this is this one episode, Night of the Lizard, the pilot episode. And you can tell they were trying to impress the networks and like, oh, look how cool the animation is going to be and how cool this series is going to be. Just from the, the look of it and how smooth the animation looked, it was high quality. Yeah, definitely. Compared to the the remaining episodes, which were still they still looked good, but the animation I don't I think I think dropped a notch by the time the second. Uh, but that's how they do with pilot episodes. Have you ever gotten to go to one of the event? Got you get an invitation in the mail to go to the uh, certain hotel or whatever in town and sit and watch these pilot televisions. But in the end, you're really just going to be asked about the commercials they showed during the pilots. Have you ever done anything like that? I, I live in Montana, and they do that with like li- livestock. <laughs> <laughs> come and see the livestock we'll show you commercials in the middle we'll print an ad on the side of a cow oh, it's it's some i recommend it if you ever come to montana i highly recommend it <laughs> well, it'd be worth it to go into some mountains <laughs> so uh you know what i should have looked this up on the time that the spider-man series premiered i'm going to november look it up. 19th 1994 well there we go in 1990 wow i i I didn't remember it being that late in. I was just like a little kid when this thing came out. Because 1994, that would have been my junior year. Yeah. Well, November of 94? No, that's my senior year in high school. I was 14. Uh, yeah, I was, I was, I'm three years older than you. So mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm not revealing my age that much. But yes, I was a senior <laughs> in high school. And, you know, I, I'm, I, I never grow up. So I was still super excited about a cartoon. You're the and pan. How, you can't it. grow up. You're the pan. That's right. I am the pan. So I just can't grow up. Uh, Oh, my goodness. Um, So this premiered. Now, what did you think of the theme song for this? Oh, that's one of the things I was going to bring up. I love the rockin' theme song. They change it. You know, it's like like the original radioactive Spider-Man theme, but it's so rock and roll. I love it. Oh, yes. Very much. And then a little bit of that techno thing where you've got the weird kind of robotic voice that... Spider-Man. Yeah. You can kind of understand it, but then it gets into this other and blah, 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 blah. No idea what they're saying. <laughs> it's like rock and roll music nowadays. <laughs> yeah. Okay, now I'm going to sound old if I say, yeah, I don't understand what these kids are talking about these days and their modern music. I say that almost every day. 
Oh my! Yeah, it's it, it catches up with us and yeah, because I know. we still will break out our Nirvana and stabbing westward and be like, "This Ooh. was the good stuff, kids." Stabbing westward, yes, I love stabbing yeah. westward. Yes, anytime he had a breakup, he got a new album. Anyway, yeah. Anyways, <laughs> <laughs> so I tell you what, uh, I was in full anticipation with the opening. I was just going crazy because there's so many you know, little snippets of. Uh, pretty much what's to come in this series and I was just looking for you know any little bit and showing any bit of villain and they showed a little bit of the hobgoblin and they showed a little bit of venom at the end I was like oh they're gonna put it all in the show I was I was already wired but I, I thought it was kind of cool how they played like a minute or two of the, the of the series before they went to the theme song so we saw kind of the setup of the lizard before they played the theme song I like that yeah they give that little bit of preview which I think they, they took from the X-Men series. The X-Men, of course, they would show the opening, but X-Men would show you about two minutes and then throw you right into a commercial. Yeah. Just to get you hooked, and then you're like, ugh! Spider-Man, I think, kind of did that a little bit. Something just picks up really early on. You get just a little bit, then, oh, yeah, here's the uh, opening, and then, <laughs> then commercial. Yep. Uh, but I, I love how this opens up, because you know Spider-Man is known for He doesn't really break the fourth wall like Deadpool. But he has this inner monologue in his thought process that you would always get, especially in the 90s. This was huge in the 90s. You're always getting inner thoughts. So I liked the way that – and this perfectly voiced by Christopher Daniel Barnes, also known as being Prince Eric in The Little Mermaid. Yep. And Greg Brady in the Brady Brunch movies. I'd love to have him on, on my show sometime or even this show would be great. Yeah. But I love that in, the, in this opening, you already have him kind of narrating and dialoguing with the audience. New York City. If only everything down there was really as peaceful as it looks from up here. I love that. So cool. Okay, didn't have anything to add then. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to make sure I don't talk the entire time and forget, oh, hey, Tim might say well, something. Well, I, I want you to talk the entire time. Your, your voice is <laughs> well, very okay. soothing. Oh, well, of course it is. Ooh. I have gotten feedback about how nice my voice is before. So... Uh, the, the one thing that I would say, though, about this episode and maybe the series in general is there are times it's hard to tell, OK, what is it? When, when, is, when is he thinking and when is he saying this out loud? Because there is one moment when he's in the sewers and we'll talk about the story in a little bit. But he's in the sewers and he's blaming himself for for Kirk Connors accident. The worst part of all this is I was the one who helped the doc with his experiments. Uh, and he kind of gestures. Yeah, as he's like, oh, you know, and it's and the worst part about it is I'm the one who encouraged him in this experiment, and he's gesturing right before a guy kind of grabs his leg and saying, "Help me, help me!" Mm. So you're, you, I always wondered in my head, okay, was he really thinking out loud and gestured to himself, or did he did he say something and this guy just overheard him blaming himself for all that? Yeah, sometimes when he does the inner dialogue, you you can't tell. Mm-hmm. I mean, when he's underwater in this episode, you can tell. Yes, this is inner dialogue now because you know he's underwater. <laughs> That is one thing I can give credit to Ultimate Spider-Man is when they go to inner dialogue, they switch out and, you know, it's like they pause the main thing and then they have this goofy, weird miniature Spider-Man come out and talk directly to the audience and break the fourth wall for you. Hmm, that's weird. So, so it, it, it can be a little confusing occasionally when his inner dialogue or, or when he's actually interacting with a character. But you just have to kind of figure if the only thing you see on screen is Spider-Man, it's probably inner dialogue. Yeah. Because he's got a heck of a really kind of funny monologue when he goes into the sewers. Ugh, you don't find the Fantastic Four in a sewer. Or the Avengers. Never have I seen the Avengers in a sewer. Or the Defenders. Well, maybe the Hulk. 
Yeah, but see, it's it's that's the stuff I figure is probably an inner dialogue, but also part of inner dialogue gives you the the, the line that pretty much I always find a way. I, I've been looking for a way to be able to use this in a sentence. Well, anyway, this lizard thing is probably just an urban myth. Wait a minute. Looks like I was mistaken. I've always wanted to find a way to use that in conversation, but I never get the chance. Well, let's have our audience, you know, text us or not text us. Well, who's going to text us? We don't have a phone number for this show. (laughs) Tweet us. Not yet, but we can make it happen. Yeah, we sure can. I have methods. (laughs) I don't want to know. But uh, yeah, those are some just the the general things. I always liked the humor of this show is that it very much matched uh, Peter Parker and Spider-Man, the type of inner dialogue and jokes that he would typically have. Mm-hmm. I think they captured it very well in this series. Uh, but that's definitely some definite credit to uh, the writing. Uh, and this episode in particular really gives you everything you need to put you into the Spider-Man universe and give you what you would want. You get a little time with J. Jonah Jameson. You get to introduce to Robbie in this one. You get introduced to Eddie Brock. You get to see the, how their relationship works. Because you have, of course, J. Jonah Jameson like, oh, blame me, Spider-Man. And Spider-Man is awful, but I'll give him money if you prove something about this lizard because this sells papers. Mm-hmm. Robbie, of course, defending Spider-Man. And, of course, Eddie Brock just comes in. Just to show that he and Peter just don't get along. Yeah, I didn't she realize thought. I didn't realize that Eddie Brock was voiced by Hank Azaria. Really? Yeah, I didn't realize that until I looked it up. I mean, I see, I hear it now, definitely. Yeah. But not as a kid, I knew who Hank Azaria, I knew who Hank Azaria was because of Simpsons, but I didn't realize right. he was in here. Yeah. Wow. That see, he was about everywhere though, doing voices. Yeah, in he the was. 90s. Yeah, he was. Uh, and they perfectly cast Ed Asner to be J. Jonah Jameson oh, because you know after Mary Tyler Moore. <laughs> oh, that's true. It is so true. Uh, I don't know who was Robbie. No, I, don't, I didn't. Let me see here. Um, I had the IMDb pulled up. I don't think it was anybody that I really knew. Um, Rodney Salisbury. Doesn't ring any bells for me. He was also in, yeah, not really much I know of, at least, Animatrix. Oh, that I did see. That was kind of cool. I rented it once. Uh, the, Invincible, the Invincible Iron Man. Okay. As Rhodey. Awesome. And that's about really all I see that's really sticking out. Uh, so it's some later things that he has done. Yeah. And, uh, very, he's, very in, cool. he's in Aura Monsters. I didn't rush that one, did you? I did. Yeah. Because Charlie Adler, he's in it. So of course I watched it. Oh, well, of course you did. Because it's Buster Bunny. Uh-huh. Right? That, wasn't he Buster? Yeah. That's what I was thinking. Same voice and everything, too, in the show. So of course I watched it. <laughs> of course. Uh, so really great casting, but I love that this episode gives you time in the office to kind of give that dynamic. You instantly also get to uh, the, his relationship with Aunt May, where he is, of course, like, oh, man, the $1,000 money that that would be – getting the photo of the lizard would be great for a new motorcycle, which is a fun throw in because, yes, in the comics, he did buy a little scooter kind of motorcycle yeah. at one point, uh, which I'm glad the movies actually did that as well. True. Uh, but it's kind of funny that he talks about maybe doing that and then seeing that Aunt May's bills are really behind. I mean, that's the heart of it right there. His relationship with Aunt May and how she worries about, oh, you got into the sewer to take those photos, didn't you? And that it gives you a really full dynamic of what the relationship between Peter and Aunt May is really like and how his normal life really is right there in the home life. Yeah, it's easy to forget that Spider-Man's a teenager. You know what I mean? Right. Well, so, not in this in this incarnation. They did have him as a college student. Yep, it's true. That's true. But he's still mm-hmm. still young, so it's easy to forget that he's young. And he, of course, he wants to buy a motorcycle for himself because every kid, teenager, 
or early early twenties wants to buy a motorcycle, but there's other things that are important too. Right. But it's nice also getting a she because Peter Parker has always been a different superhero type because he's got a normal life that he has to worry and deal with. He's he's definitely, you know, when they talk about in the DC universe, like Superman just disguises himself as Clark Kent, but he's really Superman or Batman is really more Batman, but he uses Bruce Wayne as a disguise. Peter Parker is trying to just do the right thing and has to disguise himself as Spider-Man to go and do it. Yeah, exactly. He doesn't really change too much. Mm hmm. He's basically trying to have a trying to still maintain his life as Peter Parker as best he can while balancing the fact that his responsibility and so I love that this dynamic is presented. You even get a little bit of Peter's girl problems in there. When the, <laughs> I, I think this is the only episode you're really going to see much of uh, Deb Whitman. Yeah, Deb I don't, Whitman. I don't remember her anywhere else when I watched it. I was like, who is that? <laughs> yeah, I actually, uh, the only bit more that I have about her is because I have you know, a Spider-Man encyclopedia where it talks about her being in there. And in some of uh, the comics within the last, uh, well, during the right before the Civil War and kind of during the original Civil War in comics, when Peter Parker revealed himself as being Spider-Man to the world, Deb Whitman wrote an expose book about him. Interesting. Because she was really upset that she didn't know and so she came out of the woodwork and kind of were like, what? Uh, I've known him all this time. This is what Peter Parker is really like. And I can't believe he's a Spider-Man and he never told me. How that dare kind of he? thing. She probably sued him and everything for it. Uh, you know, it probably was. He was getting sued by about everybody. Even J. Jonah Jameson was suing him because, <laughs> you know, working right, <laughs> under, right under my very nose. <laughs> I paid you to take pictures of yourself. How dare you? Exactly. Because it, it seemed like, I guess, I was printing slander or something now because, you know, all that stuff. So, yeah, Deb Whitman has a bit of a presence in the comics, and it was kind of fun to see her thrown into the comic, basically just to show how Peter is with the, the women in his life. He always kind of had that struggle going on for a long time before he finally got married and married well, even though they've destroyed that in the comics I know, comics I, know as well. I heard about that. I didn't read it, but I heard about it. Ugh, ugh, yeah, we won't get into that too much right now. <laughs> But so this episode, I love that it gives you every aspect of Peter Peter's life as Peter and as Spider-Man and how his interactions with with women, with Mary, with uh, Aunt May and at the Bugle. You get a taste of everything to really immerse you into the Spider-Man world as they tell this story. And I, I've always loved it about this first episode. It's 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 fully encapsulated, but it doesn't feel forced like they were trying to shove it in there. They you know just made it part of the story. And I love how it's not just an origin story about Spider-Man. Yeah. Because, you know, nowadays they wouldn't do that. They would make it an origin story because they feel like they have to set it up. But here, they didn't have to set it up. It was perfect how they just threw us in there into the Spider-Man world without any warning, and it was amazing. Yeah, and we don't even know how long he has been Spider-Man at no, this point. He, he probably wasn't since a teenager, probably since high school. Yeah, he probably was when he was 15 years old, started his life as Spider-Man. The only thing that's going to be new for him is he's about to get his first supervillains. Yeah, and I, I know they, they touch upon it later in the series, right? They take you in the origin story later, right? When Doc right. Ock appears and everything. Yeah, they do go in through and give you a little bit of bit you know, with his responsibility. Because to me, that's actually what made me a big fan of Spider-Man is when I got a chance to read his origin story uh, and the great power and great responsibility. I don't have to explain his origin story. If you're listening to this show, I'm sure you've seen the movies. Yeah, exactly. You know, you know, the powers are not what made him Spider-Man. Okay. <laughs> when you really get into it. So, but I, that's always why I've been a big fan of him. And uh, so I'm glad we were able to just jump right into it. Yep. Which, you know, a spectacular Spider-Man did the same thing. They established like he had been 
over the summer had been Spider-Man for the first time over the summer, that all that stuff has already happened, and now we just get right into his story, nice. give him his first supervillains. Uh, so that's it's it's a great way to do a, a television series. So like, okay, let's maybe talk about the origin later, but let's just have some fun. Yeah, exactly. Uh, tell me a bit, a little bit about the lizard, the the villain of the first episode. Who are you? Unidentified mutants. You know who I am. Who told you my name? You and what army? All right, the lizard. Now, most of you probably saw the Amazing Spider-Man, so you might have a little bit of information about Doctor Kirk Connors. Uh, now. He, with the arm, I I have never been able to find out if it was, well, okay, now here it is, here it is, okay. He lost his arm while serving as an army surgeon during a war. Now, considering that the lizard's uh, first appearance was in the 60s, it could have been maybe in Vietnam, could have been Korea. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, I don't think that's that important because, you know, in modern comics and in this animated series, they don't really get into it. Uh, but, so he had lost his arm. And through experimentation uh, with messing around with reptile DNA, he thought he could mix that with human and gain the ability to regenerate his arm, which unfortunately does go seriously wrong and turns him into – oh, it even gives him a different personality when he becomes a lizard because the lizard is uh, separate from Kirk Connors almost as the way the Hulk is separated from Bruce Banner. Yeah, and the bat on, on Batman. You know, the giant man bat, whatever. Oh, the man bat, yeah. yes. And how it's almost a different personality completely from, you know, it's like turning into something and you're not quite the same person you were. Although the lizard has all of Dr. Kirk Connors' intelligence. And so he's constantly trying to find ways because he thinks he can improve humankind by turning them to lizards. Or he starts getting angry at mankind uh, for what they do to reptiles. And he does have telepathic ability and control over reptiles and can be quite the nuisance when he really wants to be. Uh, but usually whenever he's turned into the lizard, Spider-Man finds a way to be able to turn him back to Kurt. Kurt is, of course, always very thankful to be himself again. Uh, the lizard, however, hates Spider-Man because he knows whenever Spider-Man shows up, he's going to turn him back to measly little Dr. Connors again. Uh-huh. Now, one thing I've never understood... If he has gained the ability to regenerate his arm and his arm has grown back, why does he lose his arm every time he gets yeah. turned back into a human? That's that's true. And what happens to his arm? How many arms does he have, like laying around his living room? That's creepy. <laughs> <laughs> that's something I had not thought about, but yeah, because it's weird. His arm just vanishes when he turns back into a human. Now, the interesting thing is even though he keeps getting turned back to a human, there's always something that turns him back into the lizard. Generally, stress. High levels of stress can cause a reaction because his body is permanently altered. Mm -hmm. And so as much as he would like to be able to cure himself, it's dangerous to mess around with trying to cure himself because he may turn himself into it again. And in some recent comics, unfortunately, he has become a permanent lizard. His mind is pretty much gone. It's all reptile completely. And he actually has murdered his own son now and went into hiding. Wow, that's 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 crazy. How old was his yeah. son in the comic? Huh? How old was his son? Uh, I'm not, I think he by the when the time he killed him, I think his son was a teenager. Yeah, I was gonna say because. Uh, but it was you know his family has always been important a part of the story because as Kirk Connors, he's a good friend with Peter Parker, and Peter's been able to go to him for scientific advice. Uh, and although in the comics his wife's name was Martha, I believe in the in the cartoon here they called her Margaret. Um, and I, I, I kind of find it funny if you saw Batman versus Superman. I was going to say that Martha, how do you know that name? <laughs> <You know. laughs> 
But yes, Martha and Billy, his son. Um, I, I, I think in the comics, I think something has happened to Martha now as well, but I can't recall. Uh, someone can send us an email and remind me. But yeah, he's always, he, I believe the lizard has been part of the Sinister Six, uh, been known as one of the lethal foes of Spider-Man. Uh, found some interesting inform- information. He's incredibly strong, can lift approximately 12 tons. He also can leap nearly 12 feet high and cover an average distance of 18 feet with each bound. They should have made it 12 feet to go with the 12 theme. Yeah, you would think, right? Yeah. 12 tons, 12 feet, yeah. but, mm, well, 18, 18 feet of distance. He covers some ground. And, of course, he's got a really massive alligator-style tail, which he can knock the daylights out of you with that. So he's he's an incredibly dangerous. Uh, he doesn't fight fair. He fights like a, uh, a, a flippin' standing-up alligator. And he's very relentless, very, very dangerous. You don't want to get a straight-up slugfest with this thing. Because it will kill you. It has claws. Mm-hmm. So he's yes, so always been one of the interesting villains, and I was very thankful that they actually took the time to put him into a movie and actually did it right in The Amazing Spider-Man. I think they did a great representation. Even the look that he had in that movie was very similar to the way, uh, because I've got reprints of some of the original Spider-Man comics, and he still had a humanoid shape with the green scales. Uh, But as as it has developed in the years, he's become more alligator-like as uh, as he's progressed, which is, I guess is why they naturally thought, well, eventually he's just going to turn full reptile and have no way to ever turn back. Yeah which has happened. Uh, and of course, now this, this cartoon, of course, gave him the look that he was, we're, we're used to in the nineties where he's more, you know, crocodile alligator kind of looking than humanoid. But that is the lizard. And so nice. now we have an entire episode about the lizard. And, uh, speaking of the lizard, I had this toy from this animated series of the lizard and I loved it. Awesome. Yeah. He was, you know, had that, cheap white plastic trench coat you know overcoat thing that kind of did you ever have, have the gambit um x-men action figure from the 90s um i don't know if i had a gambit figure okay well the same cheap plastic you know stiff shiny yeah plastic sort of. of a cape looking thing that they had on there but it was just the lizard was a really cool toy that i loved i think i had i had i had also spider-man too i think it's the only two that i had from this series of spider-man and lizard I unfortunately was mostly broke during those times, so I, I didn't have a whole lot of the Spider-Man toys. But I did, I did have a couple of the McDonald's toys, which I would love to actually get re-get that set back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I wish. Like I've said it before on my podcast. My parents sold all of my toys when I was uh, when I was nineteen and moved away to Yellowstone. Yeah, and I let my uh, my mom have the kid give the kids that she was babysitting and let them play with my old X-Men toys and stuff. And I don't know whatever became of them. I think she did sell them all in a garage sale and I miss them greatly. And I was trying to impress a girl when I was 19. I gave her my, uh, super Nintendo and all of my like 30 games to give to her younger brothers, trying to impress a girl. What was I thinking? I have no idea, but she must, she must've been hot. <laughs> she was. <laughs> Hopefully this is now your like your wife when you put that much effort in, right? No, no, no. This is years before. Wow, I hope you did something equally impressive for your wife. Um, I think I gave her No, I didn't give her anything like a Super Nintendo. I'm sorry. I need I need to give her my Super Nintendo. Yeah, you better. My goodness, Tim, if she ever catches finds out about this other girl, you know. I'm, I'm writing it down right now. Give her yes. my Super Nintendo and all my yes. games. Wow. <laughs> Did you play the Super Nintendo Spider-Man game based off the animated series by any chance? 
I played more of the uh, Maximum Carnage game. Ah, yes. I loved oh that goodness. game. Loved it. I had such an anticipation for that game because Maximum Carnage kept getting delayed, and I had it reserved at GameStop, and I, I, would, I was working at uh, Montgomery Ward back when it still was a business in a mall and I would check every day. All right. Have we, do we know anything about a release date yet? Because it kept getting pushed back another month, another two months and all the pushback and pushback. And finally, when I got it, I, I couldn't beat it without the help of someone like I know. Kind of a game genie. It is. I don't, I've never beaten it. It's a hard game. It's incredibly hard. Uh, but there was a Spider-Man game also that was based off the animated series, which I was able to beat. And I wish I still had that game. I loved that game. Yeah, I remember loving it too. I, I've never, I don't think I ever beat it though. And they did have the lizard in that game, and oh, he was a tough fight. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but speaking of the lizard, we better talk about this episode. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> so, as we mentioned before, I loved how it opens, where you've got a little bit of dialogue, and he's ta- he's talking about how how peaceful it is from up high, but when you get down on the street level, that's where it all is bad and chaos. And I love the way that this is like a monster movie. This entire episode, it's it's a little scary at times. And we get down into the sewer where these two sewer workers, and I think there was supposed to be an inside joke going on here where... I was in the television business. TV? Really? Hey, my old TV gets these double images, you know what I mean? Hey, maybe you could... Uh... No, I was a TV executive. Oh, you're better off down here. I always felt there must have been an inside joke going on that I didn't understand. There has to have been. Maybe, yeah, I agree. Somebody working as a writer or something threw someone in there to make fun of somebody. Yeah, and I, I wonder if they actually designed that character to look like somebody in there. Maybe the writer, one of the writers, <laughs> like, this guy looks like me, okay? This yep. is me. I'd be, I'd be better off working in a subway station. <laughs> <laughs> so, but uh, so then they're attacked by, you know, and I love the way you just get a shadow and these big red eyes. They're attacked by the lizard suddenly as he kidnaps one, and the TV executive guy freaks out, gets in his vehicle, and that's how Spider-Man actually gets involved as this guy is like, they're they're basically showing off their their mixture of traditional 2D animation and some computer animation by yep. having this car careening down the streets of New York. And the unfortunate thing is the computer animation was was I guess impressive at the time, but now you look at it and like wow, there's hardly anything else on the streets, and it's just this plain, you know, empty. You know, there's buildings and street, and it's wobbling around, and we have a more of an animated truck kind of going down the middle of it. So it really doesn't look that good. It looks better than a lot that happened around the same time. Yeah. But yeah, it doesn't age very well. No, it doesn't. (laughs) But I think that's what they were really doing was trying to showcase, look, we plan on using some computers to kind of mix in and make this look really good. But of course, I I love that when Spider-Man goes to try to help and, you know, try to stop this guy. And he finally does manage to get, you know, get it stopped. The truck goes crashing over the side. That's where we go to a commercial and we have our opening is when we've crashed off the side of a dock. And the truck's going in the water and the guy's just freaking out like, oh, what was that all about? Red eyes. The red eyes after me. Uh-huh. And did they belong to little pink elephants? No, mister, it was real. It was real, I swear. Yeah, all right, fine. Just don't let the cops blame this one on me, okay? The red eyes. I love that he says that because that's very typical Spider-Man. If something's going to go wrong, thanks to J. Jonah Jameson, he's going to get blamed for it. Of course, it's always his fault. Him or Wolverine, one of the two. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> it's always about Wolverine. It is. <laughs> but in, I know the funny thing is when you look at how that whole incident goes down, the average bystander having maybe read a lot of J. Jonah Jameson's editorials, you would see Spider-Man reaching inside a truck, trying to steer it and wrecking all this stuff. So you would look at it and say, look what Spider-Man was doing. He was wrecking that guy's truck. You see that? 
He's a jerk. Yeah, sort of like in the Spider-Man 2 movie. Hey, you see Spider-Man just told that guy's pizza. <laughs> because he didn't get the full story. He gets one little snippet. And so because of Jameson's influence, you know, they always assume the worst. And so I love that that's in there because, like, that's the typical day for Spider-Man. Yep. He does the right thing, but no one quite understands except for the people directly involved. And so he gets blamed for some horrible thing. Which, of course, puts us now into the offices of the Daily Bugle, where I, I love this this great setup where basically Peter is just like, whatever. There's, you know, J. Jonah Jameson says there's some sort of lizard thing, and Peter's like, yeah, right, okay, this is another hoax. Until, of course, you know, Eddie Rock comes in and like, oh, yes, well, I'm going to write up the story, and I'm going to talk to Kirk Connors, which, of course, now Peter's like, oh, hey, I know that Ooh, guy. Know which. That guy. To really get that rivalry rivalry between him and Eddie Brock, now J.D. Jonah Jameson is like, oh, hey, well, the kid already knows Dr. Connors. Why don't you let him talk to him for you? I love it how in not just this cartoon, but many other cartoons and movies, when something like a Spider-Man exists in a world, they find it hard to believe that another creature can exist in a world, too. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, oh, there's a giant lizard. Yeah, there's a giant spider right there. Yeah, well, I, it might have to do with you know, part of the joke, you know, the old alligators in the sewer. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I wonder if they were what they were thinking about. But point. that is interesting, though. How How is it when you have a guy who has spider abilities, do you suddenly not believe? Yeah, <laughs> nothing is impossible. I'm sorry. And of course, Especially. he also lives in a world where he, he, he referenced the Avengers. So a thing like the Hulk, you know, and the thing, they both exist in his world. So why wouldn't he think a lizard is okay? And also, they, they managed to tie this series neatly to the X-Men animated series by even having the X-Men in the series. Yep, And yep. even in the X-Men series, you get to see a little bit of the Punisher and a little bit of Spider-Man and some other characters. So they're, they are connecting these cartoons. So you got a world of mutants, and you still can't believe there's a lizard. And Blade comes in later, too, so there's a vampire. Yes! <laughs> there's all kinds of stuff going on, but Peter can't believe it. Oh, there can't be no, a lizard. No, there's no lizard. So we're, that's silly. Dude, you're a guy who sticks to walls. Okay, come on. <laughs> and steals pizzas. <laughs> and steals pizzas. So, yeah, that's a good point. I'm glad you brought that up. That's interesting. <laughs> uh, so, of course, now with the $1,000 bonus gets promised, anyone who gets a photo or something about the lizard, you know, give, it, give something to print. So, of course, Peter sets it off of that. That's where I, you know, that scene that I mentioned earlier where you go and he sees all the bills that Aunt May has. And he's like, oh, and here I am thinking about buying a motorcycle when really I need to help Aunt May. And I love that that's thrown in because that's actually how he starts taking the photos. Yeah. In the comics, it was, oh, gosh, I, you know, now that Uncle Ben's gone, I really want to help Aunt May out. Uh, and I'm not making money as a wrestler anymore because I just can't do that anymore, you know. So one of the first things he says is like, oh, well, hey. I bet the newspapers would really, you know, want pictures of Spider-Man. So maybe if I did that, and he's also kind of hoping he can make his name better because J. Jonah Jameson, even before getting photographs, is already starting to write stuff about Spider-Man. It's like, this, who's this spider guy I think he is that's going and doing this? He's not the police. He should, you know, take off that mask. And so he, Peter was actually was thinking, well, I can maybe clear my name if they see what Peter, what Spider-Man is doing and helping. And then the money I make, I can give to Aunt May and help, you know, take care of some things which i like that's because that's exactly how the comics are that so bring that into the cartoon it's like there we go that's that's peter in a nutshell i hope that in the next movie they have peter as a tmz uh video guy <laughs> <laughs> have jay jonah jameson working for tmz yeah yeah there you go have him be <laughs> harvey from tmz 
Well, you know, I just hope J. Jonah Jameson is in the newer movies because I, uh, I I was at least happy in Amazing Spider-Man 2 that he gets an email back from Jameson when he sends some photos or whatever to him. He gets an email and yeah. it's like, oh, no, Spider-Man's evil. That's as much as you got. Uh, but I think it's because who do you get to follow up J.K. Simmons? Yeah, I don't want it to be Ice Cube. Please don't be Ice Cube like it's oh. going on the Internet, please. Oh, no. Although Ice Cube is, would be entertaining. I just don't, you know, I don't think I could feel it. No. Yeah, of course, uh, we, there were some doubts about, you know, Lawrence Fishburne being a remarkable actor. There were some doubts about him playing Mr. White in uh, the, the newer Superman movies. But I think he proved in Superman versus Batman or Batman versus Superman that he actually does make a pretty good Perry White. Yeah, I mean, just because he's black doesn't mean he can't play a white person, right? Yeah, I guess there's some other things you don't expect them to play that type of character. Nice Cube, I can't see him playing no. an editor publisher type of character. Mainly because I can't see him acting. He'll be himself. That's why. Yeah, he'll be himself. Like Will Smith, although Will Smith has shown that he does have some range when given an opportunity. But, but yeah, anyways, tangent. <laughs> yep. But uh, so I'll let you tell the next part of the story. Have you gotten a chance to watch the episode recently? Um, not super recently, but I do remember watching it. So uh, here he just does he just go in the sewer? No, he goes over to visit Connors, right? At the at the college. Um, yeah, he does. He tries to go to over to ESU to talk to Dr. Connors and that then night. This, this is when he uh, runs into Deborah Whitman. Yeah, and what what the is little this? sister? I yeah, never. I was about to say that. What little sister that I never wanted is that? What he, is that? What he said? Yep. <laughs> yeah, that's a great. That's a great line. I love that. And you can see why, because she. I mean, she noses right in on what he's doing, and you know, grabs the paper, and you know, because he no, he has taken a photo. All right, he's gone in the sewer and taken a photo of the lizard print at this oh, point. Yes, because that's when he has the line of "Looks like I was mistaken." Yes. Look, I got to use it in this sentence. Yeah, you sure did. There you go. You you solved your own question. Uh, Your quest for (laughs) happiness is over. Yay! Okay, I can die now. Was that you? (laughs) Something like that. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, okay, but continue. Um, So then he talks to Connors, and I forget what Connors tells him. Because he doesn't get to talk to Connors. Oh, is it his? No, what happens? Tell me, oh. tell everybody what happens, please. Well, okay, all right. Because I've seen this episode so many times, and I even just watched it again last night. So, so him and Deb Whitman go to Doctor Connors' office and find the doors kind of unlocked when they knock, and it kind of opens, and it's dark in there. But there was some noise coming from in there. Shh. Something's wrong. You're darn right. You were suffocating me. Nice time for a brownout, eh? No kidding. The storm must be causing it. Who's there? Who is it? No! Stay away! Dr. Connors? What's wrong? No, Deborah, wait! But it sounds like he needs help! (gasps) So, like, well... Dr. Connors, you in there? And they see this thing lifting what they assume is Dr. Connors' body all wrapped up. And the, the lizard just jumps right on out the window. Now, Peter starts to forget himself, and he jumps into the window ledge, and he's starting to pull his shirt up. And De- Deborah's like, Peter, don't leave me. Where are you going? Wow, you were down there <laughs> right rave right there. And Peter's like, oh, that's right. I, You know, Deborah was here. I forgot she was here or something. It's like he just completely lost it. Like, oh, my gosh, Dr. Connors is in trouble. I got to go help. Dang it, I can't. Deborah would see me. 
But I think at around about this time is where you do get some of those nice flashbacks where you do get to see how Peter is helping Dr. Connors with an experiment on a little mouse, which I love the fact that the mouse is named Mickey. Oh, yeah, that's nice. This is even before Disney owned Marvel. Yep, yep. So little Mickey Mouse is getting an arm back because they inject him with uh, some reptilian DNA and zap him with this device that will be important to nearly every season of the Spider-Man series, the Neogenic <laughs> Recombinator. I mean, this thing during with 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 uh, the mutation disease, Morbius, the living vampire. I mean, this this one device, uh, they just used it for everything to explain away anything that they couldn't really get into in the comics because they were trying to keep it clean and a little bit more believable. So Dr. Connors had injects himself with reptilian DNA and hits himself with the neogenic recombinator. But that doesn't come through Peter's flashback. Peter only remembers the mouse. We get the rest of it is where after after that incident where they think Dr. Connors was taken away by the lizard, they're thinking, oh, my gosh, this lizard guy wanted Dr. Connors for something. So Spider-Man then shows up at Dr. Connors' house where he finds, well, Margaret, although it's her name is supposed to be Martha, and Billy there in their modest little home. Uh, and he's wanting to know, like, hey, uh, I'm trying to find Kurt. This thing took him away. And this is where she says, uh, well, I knew somebody was going to come for him, but please don't hurt him. It's Kurt. <laughs> you know, kind of that, which that conversation actually also comes about when the lizard does show up at the home. Now that you've crawled out of your sewer, maybe you'd better stick around. Because I want to know what you did with Doc Connors. Spider-Man's kind of fighting with the lizard and kind of manages to run the lizard off a little bit. And that's when uh, Martha just, or Margaret in this, in this version does confess to Spider-Man. Well, that was, yes, that was Kurt. And that's why I was so worried. I don't want you to hurt him. Uh, he's just not himself. And he injected himself with the DNA. He did something with this neogenic recombinator and turned himself into this thing. And there's gotta be a way to turn him back. Now, Eddie Brock, of course, is spying and hearing this entire conversation and runs off like, oh, this is such a great story. The thousand dollars are mine. And, uh, you know, Spider-Man, but of course, being Peter, that he's friends with Kirk Connors, knows he doesn't want the secret spoiled to everybody. So he goes and he this is slowly beginning the the issues him and Eddie Brock are going to have. He webs him to and hangs him from a pole to make sure that Eddie Brock <laughs> doesn't go run into the papers before, you know, Spider-Man can deal with this. Hang loose, Brock. That webbing will melt in a couple of hours. You can't do this! I already have. I won't let you ruin Connor's life. But I love the way if when you when you watch the series, you'll see all these different things that will add to the anger that Eddie Brock has against Spider-Man. So when he becomes Venom, you understand it. Oh, yeah, I love that. Mm -hmm. They they really put, put some time to make sure there's yes. that rivalry and that bitterness. Yep. Well, this is now we take our second trip during, into the sewers at this time. They have the consistency uh, of the web line is kind of breaking down because he's been in the sewer for so long that he has a web break and he starts falling down a shaft. Da -da -da -da. Commercial. <laughs> yeah, because Spider-Man can't save himself when he's falling. Well, when you're a kid, it could be dramatic. It's true. I cried. Really? No, I was 14. I wasn't a kid. Okay. Well, I know. 14-year-old <laughs> kid. You might still cry. It's like, Spider-Man's going to die, Mom. I cry now when I watch Pixar, so... Well, okay, but well, that's Pixar. We, yep. we, we can definitely understand <laughs> that. If Pixar made a Spider-Man movie, we'd all cry. Oh, yeah, for sure. They'd find a way. Oh, for sure. Kind of like, you know, when... Never mind. We won't talk about Gwen falling in the last movie and that horrid thump there at oh, the very was, end. That was the best scene of the whole movie. 
as far as being very dramatic and yeah but, yeah being a good a cool scene i liked it a lot actually but yeah, this could sound really bad. Oh, that was the best scene when Gwen died like that. Okay, I think I know what you mean, but it came out really wrong. <laughs> I've actually seen a really bad YouTube video where somebody was just really twisted and demented, took that little bit of the movie and made a rhythm out of her thump. thump, 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 thump oh, thump, no. Thump. Uh, I'm like, what kind of sick idiot are you? But yeah, okay. That, that was me. That was the best scene in the movie, so I had to turn it into music. <laughs> Oh, my goodness. But, yeah, so Pixar would find a way to put that into a movie and we'd cry. Anyway, so, of course, when we come back commercials, of course, Spider-Man's fine. He he has his typical, very much a Spider-Man thing to do, his guilt. He always feels guilty, like somehow or another it's his fault. And thinking, oh, I'm the one that helped Kurt Connors with the experiment. If I hadn't helped him, he wouldn't have turned himself into this thing. This is all my fault. Ah. Which, of course, is where the uh, previous sewer worker, you know, finds him. Which, oh, before Spider-Man goes off into the sewer to go and catch the lizard, I do appreciate, because the lizard came back and grabbed Margaret, I do appreciate in this cartoon that they have Spider-Man actually go to Billy and, and make sure he gets to a neighbor's house. Oh, nice, yeah. I didn't. I, I didn't he doesn't just ditch the kid. Yeah, yeah. Because otherwise, you know, people would question that. They were like, wait a minute, what about Billy? You're just going to leave him there? Poor Billy. Generic <laughs> named kid. Yeah, what about little Billy? <laughs> So, but I do like the fact that he takes care of that, which is also what happens here with the sewer worker. Because the sewer, when he, when Spider-Man is going off after the lizard, the sewer worker is like, "Well, well, you're not going to just leave me here, are you?" And Spider-Man's like, "Oh no, don't worry, I'll come back for you. I'm the good guy, remember?" So then, uh, probably one of the coolest. Well, okay, there was all kinds of really cool fights in this this series, but when you have Spider-Man versus the lizard, and he realizes, okay, he's kind of gone all reptile. I'm going to have to just come at him because he's overheard. Now the lizard is of course insane and so trying to get Margaret to, uh, to help him run the neogenic recombinator through a bunch of electrical wires into every home in New York and turn everybody into a lizard because look, we'll never, well, can get rid of every disease and we can grow back all of our limbs. It'll be great and wonderful. And Margaret's trying to reason with him and I can transform all of them. No more suffering, no more pain. But Kurt, after you transform everyone, we'll all be like you. Of course. I'm the first of a new race. A better race. If you're so much better, why do you need my hands to help you? You're not better. Look what you've become. No! You're twisting things. I can make people well again. And I won't stop for anything! Well, there's this really great fight that goes in. The Neogenic Recombinator gets up on this pipe, uh, kind of knocked away. Margaret kind of tries to go up after it and nearly gets herself hurt, which kind of makes the lizard like, oh, no, Margaret, you know. Mm. But also this great moment where Spider-Man dives in there with the, with the neogenic recombinator and the lizard, and they're all underwater, and Margaret kind of comes to and everything, and, and, and all you have is just this burst of light and the water just shooting up. In the meantime, though, you've got this great thing of a... Uh, strange. So strange. A week ago, this creature was a scientist. My teacher, my friend, he cared for people and wanted to help them just as I do. And now look at the both of us fighting each other, fighting for our lives. Which is also a really good Spider-Man thing because nearly every Spider-Man villain is also somehow personal. Yeah, it's true. It really is. His, his best friend, his best friend's father, 
Some, you know, he, he tries so hard to keep himself masked to keep his personal life away from his villains, but somehow or another, it always gets into his personal life. It always, always does. like, like if he doesn't, if he didn't exist as a person, would these people exist? You know, would they be in trouble? You know what I mean? Would these people be <laughs> super villains? You know, makes you wonder. Mm-hmm. Does he create his own villains? Yep, like Batman Escalation. does. Escalation. <laughs> uh, but anyways, like I was saying, this big burst of water and light and everything. And then as Margaret stands there over the water, as everything calms down, the music is growing to a crescendo. Spider-Man's hand comes up over the side and he pulls Kirk Connors back as a human. And for some reason, the arm is gone. <laughs> it's, 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 lost, it's lost in the sewer. Lost in the sewer somewhere. I don't know. Does it shrink back in? Does it fall off? That's what I'm thinking. I think it just shrivels up back inside. Well, it was interesting in the in the movie they made a Spider-Man. What they you actually saw his hand fall away like lizard scales. Yeah, it came apart each time, but which was interesting. So it gives it a way to keep it back to the comics where he would lose his arm. But I, I don't I don't understand why he has to lose the arm. I yeah. mean, he's regrown it. It's now an attached limb. Why does it fall off again? Things we'll never know. Things we'll never know. But uh, then, of course, we have this great scene where. Eddie Brock is there with J. Jonah Jameson and, uh, and Eddie Brock's, Oh man, you, I, I'm going to take you over there. And, uh, cause I'm telling you, Kirk Connors is the lizard where Jim, J. Jonah Jameson's look, Peter already brought me photos of the lizard this morning. He's got the money and you are saying bad things about a very respected scientist and professor here over from ESU. You better be right at this to where Eddie Brock gives the cheesiest line ever. Boss, if I'm wrong, I'll, I'll, I'll eat today's issue with a bugle. So they knock on the door. Dr. Connors answers the door with Billy on one arm and his wife on the other side. Oh, J. Jonah Jameson. Good to see you. How are you doing this morning? So Jameson just looks at Eddie Brock like, okay, would you like some like salt and pepper or anything? How would you like to eat the paper? So <laughs> it's it's the cheesiest, dumbest joke, but it's just fun. It works. It works. But that is the first episode. Now, okay, so do you remember what your first impressions were when you saw it? I just know I loved it. That's that's for <laughs> sure. Yeah, I, w- I was hooked. But I do remember it aired in November, but episode two didn't air for like several months after. It was like sneak preview. Yeah, I think I do kind of recall that. that there was like a, a gap, which there was kind of, they did that with X-Men as well. There was like a gap of a couple of weeks when they mm-hmm. premiered that episode. But we'll talk about that on our next episode. Sure will. Which I think we better wrap this one up because we babbled on. But, hey, make sure you get in touch with us. Tell us what you think of the show. You can follow us at Marvel Tooncast on Twitter. We also have a Facebook page, which if you just go into to Facebook and you search for Marvel Tooncast, or I believe it'll be Facebook.com slash Marvel Tooncast, come and like the page and uh, interact with us. Send us an email at Marvel at NeverlandPodcast.com because, yeah, I'm still using my Neverland Podcast uh, page here. In fact, we have a website that's that's building up right now. Go to marvel.neverlandpodcast.com. If this thing really takes off, we'll give it its own website, but for now, we're hosting it all there. And remember to check out both of our podcasts. Jeremy does the Neverland Podcast. I do Saturday Morning Rewind. Loads of fun for everyone. And there are links to those shows, of course, at marvel.neverlandpodcast.com. Nice little images there. But we will see you next time. I'm not sure when you're going to get a chance to listen to the episode, episode, so I won't say we'll see you next week. 
We'll see you when you come and download us again, which make sure you download the next one because we're going to talk about X-Men. And we're going to talk two episodes of X-Men next time. Ooh, yes. I cannot wait. So, see ya. Excelsior. Excelsior.